This is Abscond with Ethan Renault, episode 14, with special guest Jan Renault, aka Mommy. <laughs> You knew I was going to say mommy. I knew you were going to say mommy. You have always said mommy. Yeah. It just feels weird calling her mom or mother or mama or anything else. Just mommy. That's what she's in my phone as. So I figured I've already done an episode with my father, who I call Deo. Deo and mommy. We don't know how those labels stuck, but they did. Um, And I did one with my brother on photography, uh, Luke Renault, if you haven't listened to that one. And I'm planning on doing one with my grandma. I did a YouTube video with her, and so many people loved her and said they want me to do more stuff with her. And so I'm going to have her on the podcast, hopefully. And so tonight, I asked my mom if, uh, if she'd be down to record a podcast. So that's what we're doing. So I have a couple questions for her, and so you can just get to know her a little bit better, because I think she's awesome, and I think that she has a lot to... Um, offer everybody who's listening and it's worth noting too that she has not prepared for this at all (laughs) and everything is uh she's making funny faces and everything is (laughs) what's new um everything is just off the top of her head she doesn't really know what we're going to talk about but i have a couple basic questions so i guess for starters tell us um in the words of deo uh, you were born, and then what happened? Go from there. <laughs> <laughs> I was born and raised in upstate New York in Syracuse. And I, I don't know, I graduated from high school there. And let's see, we grew up in the country. So um, down a country road, which I remember when they put the lines down the road, I was just a little girl and thought, why are they putting lines down the middle of a road? Because it had been just a black pavement. For so many years. Oh, the years. paint lines? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yes. So we grew up in, um, in the country. There was a big old barn next to us, and they had horses and cows. And in an early age, like a lot of young girls, I loved horses. So there was a guy who'd come back from the Vietnam War a few houses um, up the street from us, and he had a horse. The horse's name was Playmate. And I went up and said, could I ride your horse? And so he said, for a dollar, I will teach you how to ride a horse. So every time I went, I paid him a dollar. Oh, it was every time? It wasn't just a no, one-time every, deal? Yeah. I went for a few times, and then he said – so then he would teach me how to saddle the horse and how to put the bridle on and all of those things, and I would ride. And then a few times later, he said, well, I can't teach you anymore, so you can just come ride whenever you want. So that was a pretty sweet deal for me. So I'd go up and – How many dollars did you end up spending? Maybe five. It really wasn't very much. <laughs> Well, that's good. Not much at all. Um, but there, I just loved horses. Okay, so there was this one time at the barn. Um, there was a paddock attached to the side where the stalls were. And so the paddock and then around the side that was a side door. And one day I had got a crop for horses, and I just got it because it was a horse thing. So I thought it was pretty cool to have a crop. And I didn't need it for Playmate. So anyway... I slapped his rear end with a crop, and he just took off all the way around the paddock and around the side of the barn and back in the side door that was open. And because um, the the ceiling in that part of the barn was so low, I ducked as soon as we came in 
And as soon as we came in, it just scraped my whole back as he rode into a stop. Oh. Yeah, so good thing I ducked, I'm just saying. <laughs> or else I'd have a headless mother. You would indeed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How old were you when that happened? Probably like 11. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was great fun. I loved growing up in the country, and we'd hike around and play outside until all hours, until your mom called you home kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, played kickball with the neighbors every night in the summer. It was great fun. Yeah. And like I said, we're interviewing Grams in the future, and I have in the video, who is your mom. Yes. So tell us about your parents and your sibling. Yep. We, my mom and my dad and my older brother, Mark, grew up there in the house. My dad was a, worked for the phone company, and he was a master carpenter, so he had built the house that we lived in, and he built everything and worked well with his hands. He was a master craftsman. Um, and my mom. He was also in the Korean War, wasn't he? Was he was in the Korean War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was. And that really affected him, unfortunately. But um, yeah, so my mom, she was a registered nurse and she also taught uh, nursing students in the high school through the BOCES program. So that was pretty cool. It was pretty sweet having a mom who's an RN and, you know, ask her all the questions if you had an owie or something. Yeah, I still do. Right. <laughs> we all do, indeed. And she's a great mom and always listened. I'd come home from school every day and just hop up on the counter and I'd talk and talk and talk and talk. And she'd listen, 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 listen. And yeah, it was, it was pretty great. Great mom. And she worked hard to give us a great life and worked hard into the night in the early hours of the morning sometimes. And my brother, Mark was, uh, he's five years older than I am, and he's a great big brother. He, big brother. Big brother. He's six, two, and he just has always loved me. Before I was even born, when my mom was going to tell him that he had a baby sister, he said, well, I know, because that's what I wanted. So <laughs> since before I was born, he wanted me, and we have been very close ever since. So my mom and my brother and I really had a great relationship, and my dad was okay, but... Um, yeah, again, the Korean War really affected him. Yeah. Uncle ways. Mark, I need to have him on the podcast you as well. You do. He has his doctorate in theology Yes. as well, and he used to teach at Moody Bible Institute where I went. Exactly. And now he does Comenius Institute work? Yes. Something like that? Yes, he works with uh, college students again. Yeah. And um, I was going to say something else about Uncle Mark. He'll come back to me. Okay. Um, so um, you grew up in the countryside, mm-hmm. and then you went to college. And where did you meet Dayo? Well, that's kind of up for debate. Um, <laughs> I knew of him, and I think he knew of me. Um, I went to Baptist Bible College in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, only for two years because college really was not my gig. And um, I came back and started working in a small Christian school, and that really wasn't my gig either, but I knew – of Deo, of Larry, um, at that time, and I always thought, ooh, Larry Renault. And really? I, what? Yeah. what was he known for? Oh, well, he's just that strong, silent type. <laughs> to this day, he's still that strong, yeah. silent type. Like people knew who he oh, was? Yeah, so he was very knowledgeable and, you know, great Bible teacher person. And um, So I started taking classes at a community college. I started taking sign language classes, and um, 
he was actually cleaning those college uh, hallways and offices the same time that I was taking the classes. So every once in a while, I'd bump into him. And mm-hmm. we'd say like two words to each other and then mm-hmm. he'd mop on and I'd go back to class. And Weren't you like 23 like, when you guys met? Yeah. Yes. There? I think when we started dating, we were about 23 probably. Mm-hmm. So we, there were not many singles in our church and he was pretty good looking guy and kind of caught my eye and all that. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So we started dating. I... And got married in, you know what? We probably met and started dating in 85 because we got married in 87. Yeah, we met when you were 23. got married when you were 25, right? Right. I think you said 23. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. 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 So we got married. We got married in that small little church. And we stayed there for another year and a half or so. But during that year and a half, your dad became kind of uncertain as to um, staying in the position he was as a Bible teacher and... Uh, a youth pastor, and he wanted more. And he felt he needed to go to seminary after talking with Uncle Mark more about it and af- after reading, um, oh, what's that guy's name? Haddon Robinson? Schaefer. No. Francis uh, Schaefer? Francis Schaefer. And also knowing that Haddon Robinson was at Denver Seminary. So we flew out to Denver in October of um, 88 and came to a Core 2 conference, which – uh, had like the big names like Chuck Swindoll and Earl Palmer and um, was Haddon there? Yes, and Haddon was there, but he because he was a president. Yeah, and we really felt, and and your dad felt like that was the best place for him to be, to learn more. And people didn't understand that when he said he needed to go back to school because they felt like he had already had enough school. He'd gone to college. Just with a bachelor's, they right. said he hasn't had enough. <laughs> right. I wish it was still like that. Right. But he became so, um, so so he became a much better preacher after he went to seminary. It was um, it's huge. It's I think it's pretty important. It was for him, and it kind of balanced him out theologically, right? Because wouldn't you say that you guys were more creative? Yes. And then Denver Seminary kind of broadened your horizons, or it sure did. I think when we moved out here, I think the big word I always would think about is freedom. I had mm. freedom in Christ. I had freedom for who I was as a believer. I have freedom that I didn't realize I had. There weren't all those rules and regulations that growing up in the the more fundamental church gave to us. So, yeah. yeah, it was great. Great to be out here. And so, yes, yeah, so I got a job interpreting at a middle school, and Dale went to school. I don't think you mentioned that before oh. on here. You interpret for deaf students? Yes, I did. I started interpreting for um, deaf and hard of hearing kiddos way back before we got married. So in the mid-80s, I started interpreting. I had gone to classes, and I hung out with folks in the deaf community and and just a lot of sign language. And very honestly, got a lot of on-the-job training at that time because <clears throat> there were no interpreter training programs, so to speak. Yeah. So, yeah, so I started interpreting in the schools in Syracuse, and then when we moved out here to Denver, I looked for another opportunity, and there was one in middle school not far from where we lived, so I would drop your dad off at seminary. I'd drive on to school. He would catch the bus and go into Serendipity House, which was a small group Bible study publisher. They published Bible studies for small groups. Then he would work there for a couple hours, and I'd finish up my work and go pick him up. 
and we'd come home, and we'd do it all over again the next day. Mm-hmm. And then, not too many days after I was picking him up, they said, well, hey, we need another receptionist. Would you like to work instead of wait in the parking lot? So I did. Mm. So I'd work in the schools, and then I would go work at Serendipity House with your dad, and then we'd come home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone, I, just, I was just talking to someone about that today, and they said, yeah. It was another seminary guy. I was at seminary today, and he, he said that his wife is a nurse, and she works putting him through seminary too. And I was like, yep, that's the main reason I need a wife, <laughs> <laughs> to put me through seminary. <laughs> um, but yeah. <clears throat> and then, so did he graduate before you guys had me? No. Um, remember, you might remember that picture of me holding you <clears throat> in like a blue yeah, dress yeah. and he's got his cap and gown on. Okay. So he decided to do seminary in four years. He had planned to do it in three <clears throat> initially, but um, he did it in four years because we were expecting you. And then he got on with Centennial Community Church 10 days before you were born. Mm-hmm. And now it's Waterstone. And Community now it's Church. Waterstone. A funny story where that's concerned. So I was um, very pregnant in June, and your birthday is June 19th. He got hired June 10th. So (laughs) I realized that I needed to go to the hospital, so I'm calling, and this is before beepers and before cell phones and before all of those things, and they had gone upstairs to have their staff meeting, and they kept hearing the phone ringing down in the office, and they kept hearing it ringing and ringing, and finally somebody said, well, hey, Larry, isn't your wife expecting any day now? Don't you think you should go answer the phone? <laughs> so he went down, and sure enough, it was me saying, um, we need to go to the hospital. Just kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wasn't it Luke then that he almost didn't come to the birth? Or am I thinking no. of something else? No, I think you're thinking of something else. Uh-oh. No, we stopped through the McDonald's drive through before we had Luke because <laughs> he was so hungry, and it was a Sunday morning. <laughs> Oh, you've got plenty of time. Go ahead and go through the drive-through. That's what I was thinking of. (laughs) Yeah. And we get to the hospital, and we didn't have much time before Luke was born. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so that's basically your life, like, up until I was born. (laughs) Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then anyone who's listened to this podcast has heard my version of everything since then. Yeah. Um, So (laughs) you and Dale... Lived here um, until 2003 when we moved to Cape Cod for right. four and a half years. Right. And then you moved back here. Where you did. And do you want to tell them about the sheriff, the <clears throat> victim's advocate? Sure. Um, like I said before, college really wasn't my thing, so I was grateful to have the opportunity to be an interpreter for the deaf in the schools. Um, so that was great. But then I, I say that only because one day I was reading the local little – neighborhood newspaper and there was a picture and I really like pictures because it (laughs) captures my attention (laughs) as opposed to lots of words. So there's a picture and it had some people with jackets on that said victim advocate. And so I read the article and um, the article was saying that they needed victim advocates for the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. And a victim advocate is somebody who shows up on scene and is um, there for the victim of the crime or the death of a loved one. And uh, they are a liaison between the victims and the sheriff and the deputies so that they can get their job done, but the victims are cared for and are given resources and um, places to go for support and just somebody to listen to them in their moment of crisis. Mm-hmm. So we go on scene uh, when the when whatever is happening has happened. And um, 
So yes, I became a victim advocate, I believe in 02. Right before we moved to Cape Cod. Right. Maybe it was 01 because then we moved in 03. Yeah. And then when we came back, I continued to do that. But one thing I had also seen the victim advocates, sadly, at Columbine Library. Luke and I had gone to the library that day to go pick up books or go to story time or something. In 1999? In 1999. And that was the day that Columbine happened and people were standing out in the circle in front of the library. And I said, what's going on? And they said, well, somebody's shooting over at the school. And the school was, you know, a good ways away. I mean, it was across a couple good... Isn't it just a mile from the library? Maybe. Maybe half a mile. But across open fields and across big baseball diamonds. Um. Yeah, and so we went in, and then soon after we got into the library, there were all these victim advocates, and their jacket said victim advocate, and they just all lined up along the checkout area of the library, and frantic parents came in looking for their kids and looking for information. So that was my first, like, big moment seeing victim advocates. And you've said that the reason that you are drawn to that type of ministry or – job or duty, whatever you Ministry, want to call it, yeah. mm-hmm. um, is because you like being on the front lines where the action is right where it's happening, uh, whereas Deo is kind of the opposite. He's in there for like the long haul kind of counseling, walk with people for, you know, hence he's a pastor. He has that pastoral care, uh, you know, side of him. I think so. Definitely. I like being right where the action is and the moment of crisis. I don't think I do as well long term. Uh, walking beside somebody like a Stevens minister type person. But, um, yeah, so I do. I really like being right there in the moment of the crisis mm-hmm. uh, with, with people. And then I get to pray for them, um, sometimes occasionally with them, but always for them as I leave the scene or as I think about them through my the weeks ahead mm-hmm. that come. So, yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing you do... And this is why I always tell people that mommy is a boss, um, because not only do you interpret for deaf students presently, and you do victims advocate, but you're also a certified master gardener. <laughs> That's mainly in the summertime now, right? You don't do that year round. You used to work at gardening centers. Right. I worked at garden centers. Well, I started on Cape Cod because um, I didn't find any place to interpret necessarily right there on Cape Cod, close to where we lived. So... Uh, around the corner from us was a really nice garden center. And so I applied and said, all I know is a tulip. And they said, okay, I'll put you in the perennial garden with Mary Ellen. And she was a fantastic lady who taught me so much. And the whole place taught me a lot. So I worked there for four years. And then I worked here in uh, Littleton when we moved back for another four years before I went back to interpreting. Um, and when we moved back to Colorado, I had the opportunity to take the Master Gardener program over um, – at the Jefferson County Fairgrounds. It's through the CSU extension. So there are CSU um, professors and teachers who come down and teach the classes for the Master Gardener program. So it's pretty sweet. Yeah. So you have a certificate, right? I have a master... it's, it's just a certificate. It's, it's yeah. not a master's degree. No, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Master Gardener. Again, my, let me refer back to when I said I don't like college and school. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So, yeah, I did that for a few years, and that was really nice. And so I would not consider myself a master gardener any longer because I'm no longer with the program. But I do know quite a bit about gardening, and I get to help a good friend and work with her in the summer some. And I have a garden I do out in the valley, and so it's kind of nice. 
What do you like about gardening so much? I just love being outside. I love getting my hands dirty. I just, you know, it's just fun to see the flowers grow. And I've learned so much from Mary Ellen all the way through, you know, working with my friend even last summer. I learned a ton. So it's just great to learn about the plants and be outside in nature. I have always loved to be outside. Yeah. Always. Hence being born in the countryside and <laughs> growing up out there. The other thing, can I revert back to that for a second? Yeah. When I was a little girl, we had a camp up on 25 acres in the woods. And it was my dad's thing. And it kept us from going to church every weekend. So we didn't go probably. Um, we went for the first probably seven years of my life or something. And then we stopped. But the first number of years of my life, we were up there every weekend. And we had a cabin with no running water. And we'd you know go pump the water from somebody else's well and bring it down in those big old milk cans. And then we'd bathe in those porcelain tubs and we'd walk down to the river and in the mat to the mad river and we'd take a bar of soap and we'd take a bath in the mad river and Mm -hmm. had tree forts and campfires and clam bakes. And so I loved the woods. I loved being there when I was little. That was also a very fun part of my early growing up years. Wasn't there some story about a bath you guys took in the river one time? Or was it, was it just the fact that you did that? The one where, um, you know, I'm four and I have the bar of soap in my hand and I set it down. Because, you know, when you're done lathering up, you put the soap back in the soap dish. But so because there was no soap dish, I just set the soap down and it started to float down river. <laughs> and my brother said, Jan, you got to hold on to the soap. <laughs> so did he go get it? Yeah, we just splashed after it. It was mm-hmm. kind of just kind of a funny mm-hmm. memory. Dang, that sounds like an awesome childhood. It was really fun growing up in the woods. In yeah. Some ways, yeah, <laughs> all that. Yeah. Oh, we put, picked blackberries. We our whole drive, you know, this rustic, rustic drive back into the cabin was all just full of blackberry bushes. So we just go pick and pick and eat and eat blackberries. It was great. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, throwback. So that basically catches you up to the to the current day on the life of Jan Renault. <laughs> um, so I just had a couple more questions just to so people could get to know you just a little bit more. Um, do you have a favorite movie or movies? <laughs> I'm not really good at spur of the moment questions, so you don't have an all time favorite. I can't think of an all time favorite. I'm not really good at that. I, I, it kind of embarrassing. I might say Pretty Woman, but that was from so long ago. And part of it was because of the one line that she says in that movie about it. it's just easier to believe the bad stuff. And so sometimes I have to remind myself that it's not just the bad stuff that you need to believe that people say about you. You know, mm-hmm. you need to remember all the good stuff. Yeah. Um, I really like a variety of movies, and we watch a lot of movies. Yeah, we do. And you guys critique a lot of movies between <laughs> you and Uncle Mark and... I know that some of your favorites are Dan in Real Life. Oh, or... yeah. Some of those are just fun to watch every year while I wrap Christmas presents or something. Yeah, I feel like yeah. we watch Dan in Real Life every year. Yeah. That and... Uh, what about Bob? What about Bob? <laughs> Crazy Stupid Love. The one with Ryan Gosling yep. and Steve Carell. That's those a really good one. Those are just fun. Yeah. Well, you know, the Bourne movies. You know, all those. Just some good yeah. movies out there. Yeah. You're like Grams. You like the action ones too, oh, a little suspense. Or a little, little bit of everything, just not yeah. horror. Yeah. Right. I need to back up too and just say that probably the best part of my life, besides your dad and 
um, marrying him was you guys, just the joy of being your mom. And I got the other important thing was that I really got to stay home with you guys in your early years. And I am yeah. so grateful for that. I got to stay home probably until Luke went to first grade. So that was a good eight or nine years at least. I got to be a stay-at-home mom, and then I just worked part-time and was always there for you guys before yeah. and after. But we just had a lot of fun, I thought. And we go on little outings, and we do mops, and we do lots of book reading and lots of fort making. And <laughs> you guys are always creating and dressing up and yeah, I was always glad I was fun. never a pre or not a preschool, a daycare kind of kid. Good, you know? but I'm glad. yeah. And uh, you've always said that you liked raising boys. You're a boy mom, yep. not a girl mom. <laughs> I love my boys so much, and I love being a mom to you guys. Yeah, great fun. Yeah, and uh, favorite band or song. <laughs> She keeps rolling her eyes and looking at me. Yes, because these on-the-spot questions I just don't do well with. Yeah, I love you too. Oh, I love you too. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much good stuff out there. I don't know. And I love it when you guys make me, or you used to make me CDs or whatever. Oh, yeah, that's or true. You, you give me some good music to put on my phone or, or listen car. to on Spotify. Yep. She pretty much likes whatever my brother and I give right. her to listen to. Pretty much, pretty much. I think my favorite song of all time is the one that you made for my 50th birthday. The one with the rap and yes. the heavy metal screaming? Yes, the rap and the heavy metal is like my all-time favorite. Oh, yeah, because I, I did the rap. I break out in a huge smile every time I listen to that driving on my way to work. I did the rap and my brother did the heavy metal <laughs> screaming. The best. It actually came together pretty well, I think. Yeah, you guys said you sat on the top of the stairs, did it once, and it was done. Yeah. I wrote out the rap, and Luke just screamed happy birthday a bunch of times. <laughs> it's awesome. If you haven't heard it, you really should listen I to it. I could actually put it at the end of this episode. You could. I love it. I'll do that. Okay, so. That's my favorite. If you want to hear Mommy's favorite song. <laughs> all um, time. Of all time. I'll put it at the end. Uh, just because it has heavy metal, I won't put it in the middle in case any of you are averse or you don't want hearing damage. Oh, <laughs> this is great. We made it for her birthday one year. So stay tuned after we end the episode and we'll put <laughs> mommy's birthday song on it. Um, so I guess yep. that's all I had. We're at almost half an hour now, so we can wrap it up. Do you have any final comments or anything you want to leave anyone with? Words of wisdom? Anything at all? I wish I had great words of wisdom, but I don't know what to say. <laughs> so thank you for letting me be on your podcast and for this opportunity to share a little bit of my life. And the best part of it has been you guys. So mm -hmm. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I love you very much. Oh, thanks, Luke, Mommy. I love you so much, too. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on my podcast. Um, if you want, if you have any questions for Mommy, a.k.a. Jan, <laughs> Um, you can email me, Ethan, at my website, ethanrenault.com. Click the contact button. Sends the email straight to me. As always, you can check out my Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. It's all just my name, Ethan Renault. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to Abscond Podcast with me. Uh, this has been episode 14 with special guest Jan Renault, a.k.a. Yes. Mommy. Thanks, Ethan. This here song goes out to Mommy. 
See, I met a nice lady 20 years ago, and I didn't know it then, I was an embryo. But this lady named Jan, yes, she did conceive, and much to her surprise, gave birth to me. She's my mom, I'm her son, and that's all I got to say, and I hope that she has an amazing birthday. It falls on March 29th, every time about this year, and that's why we put together this little nugget for your ears. Yeah, my brother's here too, I think he's got some words to scream on how the fact is that he loves you. It's what his silence means, I must admit you're pretty cool, you don't make me want to puke, and I could go on forever, but I'm handing it to Luke. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! To you! Happy birthday! Happy birthday! To He just said, uh, I love you and happy birthday.